Hey guys, it's Gary here. Just a quick little warning before this episode, like we did with our Last House on the Left episode uh, a few months ago. Uh, this episode will be going into detail about some scenes uh, of a really nasty nature involving sexual assault. Uh, and we will be talking about depiction of sexual assault and how it's dealt with on screen. Um, so just a little trigger warning uh, before the episode starts. But other than that... Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Horror Culture Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are here near the end of Nasty November with another nasty film. And a nasty remake that wasn't a video nasty, but it's nasty because of how shit it is. We're talking, I spit on your grave, for Original versus Remake. Yes. Yes. Um, There's a lot to get into. Let's Before we get into yeah. it, let's get some stuff out of the way. Um, so, poll results. 63% of you were correct and voted for the original. And 37% of you voted for the remake. Why? Um, again, I, I think... This is crazy. So, we, at least you just said before we started recording. Um, we've discussed in the past uh, remakes of films that are very obscure when they were first released. Original films and whatnot. Um, so, you know, like the likes of Prom Night, Talkbox Murders... Um, I Saw What You Did. You know, these are films that aren't really well known, but they still managed to get a remake. Um, this is very much the case here. So it's notorious because of how controversial it is. And obviously it's video nasty status, hence we're discussing it today. Um, but to a modern audience in 2010, not really. No, because it was banned for so long. Yeah. I mean, I knew of, I knew of this film because of when the ban was lifted and it, when it was released on home media. Yeah. Um, and I remember my dad getting it, and it was, it was such a big deal that this film had become available for the first time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, if, if that didn't happen, if I wasn't old enough to understand at that point that, you know, this film had been released and it was a big deal, I never would have had any idea about what this film was or why it's so special. Yeah, my only real history with it was knowing that it was banned... And just remembering that title, yeah, I spit on your grave. Uh-huh. Kind of, it's a memorable title. Um, I remember there was a f- another film, um, because I used to, I used to go on the uh, import DVD websites mm. back in the day, and there was one film that they were selling called, I spit on your corpse, I piss on your grave. <laughs> um, so I just kind of remembered it for its title. I didn't. 100% yeah. know what it was about. The title and the poster uh, were the, the most poster, memorable things at the yes, time before watching it. Um, yeah, so socials catch up. We haven't got a lot this month. Just got free. Uh, lots of retweeting and stuff on Twitter, though. Keep that up. It's nice because, I mean, we don't really hear much on Twitter, so it's nice to see some retweets and stuff. I'm, I'm sure it means that everyone's enjoying the episodes. They're great. Uh, Mr. Goran on Instagram said he loves Unhinged and wished it would get a Blu-ray release because it's incredibly underrated. Um, yeah, yeah. It's fun. 
soundtrack's underrated. Yeah, the soundtrack's very underrated. I mean, you know, the mother in the film is, is underrated. Um, Doug Lander 86 on Instagram congratulated us on our timing with the Don't Go In The House episode. Means several films announced their Blu-ray release around the same time that we announced the episode. I know. Um, Sneaky bastards. And they didn't even ask for us to do a little... Uh, <laughs> featurette for them well i really um, like that doug uh actually mentioned them in the comment <laughs> so they're aware yeah. of this uh little crossover oh they're aware <laughs> they've been keeping an eye on us i know sneaky bitches uh and rick on facebook because we, we wouldn't be an original versus remake episode without mentioning rick on facebook um the woman he said the woman who has her arm chopped off in tenebrae and has blood spread over the wall was the ex of silvio balasconi the ex-Prime Minister of Italy, uh, and he tried to have the film banned in Italy. <laughs> Why? I t- I'm going to get Rick to write all of our trivia, and I'll save me a job. That's a, You're yeah. hired. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's all we've got for this month. Keep on coming in. Horrible Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrible Trash on Twitter. Very interested to hear what people have got to say about these two films. Um, yeah. Let us know. Regardless of your opinion, let us know. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's one of those films to, well, just talking about the original, it's one of those films where I can absolutely see both sides to the opinions. Yeah. Very divisive and, you know, there's reason for it. Yeah. Absolutely. So starting off with I Spit on Your Grave, 1978, directed by, uh, Miyazaki, who directed Don't Mess With My Sister, and I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu. With a whopping 2.3 on IMDb and a two and a half hour runtime. I would rather shit myself than watch that film. I think it's one of those where you know you're not going to like it. What's the point? It's not going to be a trash to piece. It's two and a half hours of your life that you could spend somewhere else doing something else. Absolutely living for Camille Keaton coming back and doing it, but no thanks. Budget... $1.5 $1.5 million. Okay. And uh, I don't know how much it made. That's quite high, actually. That is a very high budget, yeah. That's really quite high for, um, well, I was going to say a cheapo video uh, nasty. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's okay. essentially a low-budget film, look at it. <laughs> but by the 70s, I mean, I don't know if that is a low-budget. But I mean, for what it is, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it's not like they've got loads of sets. And stuff like that. Oh, There's no it... big stars. No, I mean, I hope it means uh, Camille Keaton got a good payday. Um, yeah, was she married to the director at the time? Let's get to the trivia. There we go. All four male actors asked to appear naked in the film to remove awkwardness or embarrassment about their own nudity and to show solidarity for Camille Keaton, who spends much of the film nude. Yes. Starting off on a high. Yeah. No, I, I think that's... <laughs> that's great. That's good. Yeah. Uh, one crew member quit during filming of the second rape scene. He simply couldn't stomach any more violence. The film's makeup artist quit the film halfway through. She'd... Uh, hang on. Oh, Jesus Christ. I completely misread that then. Um, she'd been a victim of sexual assault herself, the makeup artist, so she couldn't bear to relive the horror of the attacks. I, absolutely understandable. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, did she not get a script? You'd her? think so, wouldn't you? 
Unless she thought she'd be okay and then she got there. I suppose, and then... yeah, yeah, I suppose seeing it is oh, yeah. completely different yeah. to what I mean, you imagine. It's uncomfortable to sit through as a viewer at home, let alone being on set and witnessing it. Even though you know it's actors, that's pretty horrific stuff to fucking yeah, no, watch. Absolutely. The film was originally released in 1978 with the title Day of the Woman and was poorly received at the box office. In 1980, distributor Jerry Gross renamed it I Spit on Your Grave after a 1959 French drama and re-released it. This time received more publicity and became a key target of podcast regular Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel's campaign against films featuring women in danger. Um, Day of the Woman, please say it for me. Day of the Woman, probably more fitting to the film, but I Spit on Your Grave, that's such a good title. It is. What a great title for a film. But come on. Day of was a better title. It's the better for the title film. For, for this the film, film. For this film. If I spit in your gravers for any other film, it would be it would be a perfect title for the film. Absolutely. But for this, something that's dealing with such a serious subject and has such an empowering second act, the second second third act, should I say, um it's I think Day of the Woman was more fitting. Yeah. For the themes of the film yeah. It's more fitting. But that time I mean, it speaks for itself. It got way more publicity. Oh exactly. After the exactly. Time exactly. Miyazaki uh said he was inspired by, uh, to make the film after helping a young woman uh, who'd been sexually assaulted. He said he, a friend and his daughter were driving past a park when he saw a young woman crawl bloodied and naked out of the bushes. They picked the girl up, took his daughter back home and talked with the friend about whether they should take it to the hospital or the police. They decided to take it to the police first. The officer, who Zaki uh, described as not fit to wear the uniform, insisted she answered questions about her assailants before she went to the hospital, even though her jaw was broken and she could barely talk. Finally, Zaki insisted to the officer that they take her to the hospital right away. He found out that the girl was attacked whilst taking a common shortcut to meet with her boyfriend. Soon afterwards, the girl's father sent Zaki a letter of thanks for helping his daughter and offered him a reward, which Zaki turned down. Fucking crazy. Yeah, I I think it's interesting that the writer and director came from that perspective. Yeah. And that's what um, sort of made him want to make the film. Yeah. I do find it interesting that the... Um, police and law enforcement mm. isn't featured in the film. Yeah. I did find that quite yeah. strange. Um, we'll obviously get to that. Especially given that backstory. Yeah, yeah. especially given the backstory. It's something that the remake kind of does. <laughs> Badly. Yeah, but it's something that the remake does that this didn't do. Yeah. And I'm surprised hearing that story that it wasn't featured in the film. Mm. Maybe he wanted to budget constraints. I don't know, but it, it was. I was honestly relieved when I read it was based on that story. I mean, I obviously not that it happened because that's fucking awful. Um, but I'm relieved to hear that it come from a place of sincerity like that, from a real life situation, um, and not just randomly thought up as an exploitation film. Yeah. You know, just as any of a horror film, like the remake. I do think that context helps with an understanding of the film. Yeah, and you know, the big argument is, 
is this film misogynistic trash or is it a, uh, a an empowering feminist horror film? Um, and it's like I said, you know, you can see both side of things, uh, which we'll go into later on. But it definitely, it kind of helps it slide more towards the feminist side of things when you know why he's making it. Yes. Which makes some of the choices... Yeah. ...a bit exactly. Exactly. Uh, the film was submitted to the Motion Picture Association of America several times. It was originally rejected due to violence, though the MPAA didn't specify which violence section should be trimmed. The film finally passed after Miyazaki had removed all references to anal rape. Okay. That's really all it took. Apparently. Wow, MPAA. The actors performed their own stunts. The production couldn't afford any stunt people. Okay. Oh, good on you, Camille Keaton, then. Uh, other titles for the film included I Hate Your Guts and The Rape and Revenge of Jennifer Hill. It's a bit on the nose. It, it oh, is. The director didn't like the I Spit on Your Grave title, um, but it helped make the film a controversial success. Uh, but now the director insists on using the subtitle, a.k.a. Day of the Woman, on all posters and DVD sleeves. Oh, yeah, it okay. is. Like, it's on ours as well. Um, some of the films that influenced uh, the director were Michael Winner's Death Wish, Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, of course, and yeah. Henry King's The Bravados. Oh, which I've okay. not heard of actually. Uh, the Bravados, uh, Joan Collins. Oh, okay. Um, British feminist Julie Bindel. I, I don't know what influenced that. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Julie Bendow, a British feminist, actively picketed the film when it was first released in the UK. She later uh, took back that view, stating that she now considers it a feminist film. Yeah. I mean, how, how did times change with that? I... <laughs> maybe she found the context of the film well, later maybe on. Maybe the context, maybe she got Watch caught the remake. Yeah, but maybe she got. Maybe she was looking for something. Yeah. Like you said, it, you can look at it from two different angles. Yes. Yeah. And I think both those angles come together, and they're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at different aspects of the film, so if you're watching a film and you're looking for something, mm-hmm. then you're gonna find it. Yeah. If there's an inkling of it, you're gonna find That's it. True. That's true. You know. At the end of the day, if somebody turned around to you and said, this is the worst film I've ever watched, this, 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 and this happens in mm-hmm. it, and I think it's, you know, awful, then you, when you watch it, you're looking yeah. out for those. Uh-huh. You know, you're looking out for the moments of bad direction it's or, true. you know, shit acting. And then when you reassess it and watch it, you know, without that influence, it's still there but you look at it in the greater scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film has no soundtrack. Miyazaki intended to add some music, but couldn't find anything suitable. The only music in the film is the church organ, um, the uh, classical record that's used uh, during one scene, a background music in a store, and a few stray riffs from Johnny's harmonica. And it is a great decision. Yeah, I think it works for the film. I really do. Um, if you remember back to our Last House on the Left um, pod episode, yeah, uh, if you remember how jarring that 
soundtrack was. Yeah. Um, I'm glad they didn't go in that direction. It's true. Uh, Camille Keaton said in 2019 that she doesn't feel this film or those like it are misogynistic at all, as some have claimed. Uh, she said the first film was inspired by true events after Miyazaki rescued a woman who'd been raped. So I don't think it's exploitative. It's empowering to women. That's what I love about Mir's work. It doesn't glamorise anything, and even the grittiness of the cinematography shows the tone of what's happened. Statistics show that in the United States, one in five women have been sexually assaulted, so the truth is that it's a very real and, will, uh, the real and worldwide issue. Most of us know someone who's been affected. When a movie takes on a subject like this, I think it's very brave. She added that the censorship of the film is hypocrisy. Uh, we can go on the internet right now and see porn, which children can easily access, but we can't show a betrayal, uh, i.e. not a real happening, of someone being raped, which is a real issue. I believe art can wake people up, especially something that makes a statement. Get it, girl. Can I say it better myself? Yeah, and I think there's maybe a double standard here yeah. where there have been many sort of more prestigious films mm-hmm. uh, from bigger budgeted studios that have depicted rape and sexual assault, yeah. then no one's batted an eyelid. Uh-huh. But I think sometimes... With the cheaper films, they're used as an example, or they they it's easier to use them as an example mm-hmm. because they haven't got a big studio behind them. Yeah, that's not to say that this isn't a grim film. Mm-hmm. It's it's really grim and it's yeah. nasty. Um, but that's the idea. But that's the idea. Again, context matters. Yeah. Uh, the model in the iconic poster shot, seen from the rear, clutching a knife, was Demi Moore. This was confirmed in her memoir, Inside Out. Producer Charles Band brought the video distribution rights to the film in 1981. When it came time to design a new poster, he felt star Camille Keaton was too thin and wasn't shapely enough for the poster, so he sought a new model. At the same time, he was also producing the sci-fi horror film Parasite from 1982, which co-starred Moore, who had been a nude model before getting into acting. He thought she had the perfect backside for what they needed, so he chose her to pose. Charles Band can go fuck himself. That is ridiculous. So that wasn't the original poster? No. Um, the poster is something I have a problem with. Yeah. Because the poster gives an idea of the film... That it's going to be some cheapo exploitation, you know, kinky film. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. It's, it's literally a close-up of a woman's ass. Uh-huh. You know, that's giving a preconceived notion of the film. Yeah. Um, and again, that might be, you know, adding to the backlash against the film. You have preconceived ideas yeah. of what the film's going to be like because the film poster is actually quite exploitative. Absolutely. I mean, it makes more sense that it wasn't Miyazaki in charge of uh, the poster. Yeah, I wonder what the original um, poster looks like. And, and the fact that, you know, this is a, a man telling a woman she's who has starred in this fucking film... Done her own stunts, got a paycheck for this film, you know, 
a woman who has stood up for the film to this very day. It's something that she is not good enough to be on that poster because of her looks and because of her body. And he thinks someone else has a better ass than her, so she should be on the poster. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Which is kind of, in some ways, in keeping with what the film The attitude about. of the men in the film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. That's absolutely crazy. So I've just got the original poster up here. Um, yeah, it's Camille Keaton, like, topless with her hair covering her breasts, um, looking dishevelled. So it's actually not that much better, oh. to be fair. Uh, well, at least it's fucking Camille Keaton. Uh, after it was all over, she waited. Then she struck back in a way only a woman can. Yes. Day of the woman, the <laughs> ultimate day of terror. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why is that making her sound like the bad guy? Oh, the fucking trailer makes her sound like the bad guy. Yeah. It's like, she's going to cut, chop and slice all these men. Yeah. And no court will ever will ever take her for it or whatever it fucking says. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> no court will ever prosecute her no for it. Like, which I oh, don't no. Think, I actually don't think it's true, but... Um, clearly the trailer in the right, yeah, was not a fan of the good for her cinematic universe. Um, film critic Roger Eber <laughs> called it the worst movie ever made, going even further than Gene Siskel, who also loved the film, but did not talk about it after he agreed with Ebert that it was easily the worst movie either of them saw in the year it was released, 1980. Ebert talked at length both on his show and in print about how the element of the film that disturbed him the most uh, was seeing it with a fairly large audience who alternate, alternately laughed about the rape scenes and then hypocritically exhorted the female lead to get revenge on her rapists. Ebert wrote that he wanted to tell these viewers how disgusted he was, uh, but decided not to and simply ran out of theatre as quickly as possible once the movie ended. Now, two things. First of all, who the fuck could find any of that funny? What is funny about that? I think it's a kind of coping mechanism. I fucking hope and so. And I think it's particularly when watching this kind of film in a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to sit there and watch a film, a film like this alone, I'm pretty sure you won't be laughing. No. Um, but I, th- I think it's a way for people to deal with what they're seeing on screen. But then, also, when we get into the film, there's one particular thing that comes across as comical. Mm. Not through design. Yeah. But I'll, I'll explain it as we go through. But I, I do think it's a group sort of mentality thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with a large audience, that's just going to be duplicated, isn't it? Well, my second thing was, if this is genuinely the worst film that Siskel and Eber ever watched, I'm fucking jealous. Jesus Christ. Watch the town that banned Christmas. Good luck with that. I think they, again, had preconceived notions and ideas of what the film was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's all they focused on when oh, they yeah. watched it. Well, we all know that was very They knew case. what the film was about. They yeah. knew the controversy surrounding the mm-hmm. film. 
Because this was two years after it initially come out yeah. and, and whatnot. So there was all this talk of it and this, that and the other. So they knew exactly what they were looking out for in the film. And, you know, they they have a history of being against these kind of things. Like, why even watch the film? You know you're going to yeah. hate it. Or imagine well, I suppose they're... he had to watch it because that's what, that was his job. Imagine if they were around these days. They'd be so much fun on Twitter, wouldn't they? Yeah, I I think they would have mellowed a little bit, I think, by uh, by this point. Uh, Camille Keaton endured the backlash uh, that surrounded us bit in your grave, but never turned her back on the film or the role. In fact, she even proudly returned to reprise her role in Deja Vu. Well, with all due respect to Camille Keaton, um, it's probably the only film she's known it's true. for. It's true. Uh, and she was, uh, despite the controversy and negative reviews, she was the one thing that everyone praised. I will, I will absolutely hands down say there are some scenes in this film where she really gives a great yeah, performance. She does. really does. Uh, she married writer-director <laughs> Miyazaki. There we go. I knew I had the tea. When Miyazaki filmed Matthew's death scene, Richard Pace started to convulse whilst hanging. That she initially thought it was really good acting, then quickly realised something was wrong. Pace wasn't choking, he was having a panic attack due to his fear of heights. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then moving on, I Spit in Your Grave 2010. Directed by Stephen R. Munro, uh, the director of such classics as The Beach Boys' Nashville Sounds, Sasquatch Mountain, Ogre, Mongolian Deathworm, Ice Twisters, the Twelve Disasters of Christmas, I Spit on Your Grave 2, Pumpkin Pie Wars, Christmas in Homestead, Bad Date Chronicles, Love at the Shore, A Bramble House, Christmas, Christmas Connection, Undercover Angel, Marrying Mr. Darcy, Aww. Reunited at Christmas, Christmas Tree Lane, USS Christmas, A Winter Getaway, and even after that fucking list, lots more. So... Stephen R. Monroe went from uh, I Spit in Your Grave to Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas they films. They all do. <laughs> now, what do you mean they all do? You didn't see Rob Zombie fucking directing Hallmark Christmas films. No. But what's what's in it? David Dakota. David Dakota. <laughs> um, I swear there's another one as well that did horror films and then went on to Hallmark and Lifetime. Probably. I don't know. But... I'm pretty sure you're going to force me to watch a few of those films now. Oh, we've got to compare, haven't we? Now you know. <laughs> Budget, $2 million. And it made $1.2 million at the box office. How? Fucking good. You, but it can't have. They got sequels. It can't have lost money and got Yeah, sequels. all the sequels are straight to video. Still, that doesn't make any sense to me. I know. But it's not the first or last time it'll happen. No. In the final shooting script, Jennifer was intended to arrive at the cabin with her dog and it was to be heavily featured during the introduction of the film. What the dog, dog? The dog was written out of the script last oh. minute because uh, hiring a trained dog for the intended shooting schedule would put the movie over budget. According to the director, the dog would have made more money than anybody on the movie. <laughs> God, you should have hired it then. Is this, this is low budget. Then. This isn't like a studio Two million. film. No, no. Anchor Bay. Anchor Bay made it. Anchor Bay. Yeah. 
put it out there. No DVD. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> exactly. There we go. According to Jeff Branson... No offence to Anchor Bay. I fucking loved Anchor Bay DVDs back in the day. According to Jeff Branson, although it was never used, there was an outword that Sarah Butler was to use in sexual assault scenes got too intense for her. Which is good to hear that even though the morals of the film don't seem right, it's good to know that on set it was a little better. Yeah. According to the director, the studio submitted an uncut version of the film to the MPAA to see if by chance they'd get an R rating. The MPAA came back and said, look, you've got an NC-17 movie, but we don't recommend that you cut it down because we feel it's, like it's really impactful. Oh. Then They then decided against editing the film and release it as unrated so it could play in more cinemas. Oh, that's probably why it lost money. Yeah. Sarah Butler had reservations about taking the role. She herself chooses not to watch horror films because she finds them disturbing. Her agent eventually talked her into it, stating that Sarah would be insane not to play someone so scary and badass. She's not meant to be fucking scary. That's not the point. Fucking hell. Even her agent's missing the point. Roger Ebert gave this film zero stars as he had done with the original. By his own account, he reserved zero stars for films he found to be either artistically inept or morally repugnant. Uh, he especially questioned the film's supposed moral uh, equivalency of getting revenge after a rape, stating that both acts were equally despicable crimes. Oh, shut the fuck up, Roger Oh, God, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Oh, crony dickhead. That's not the point. But also is kind of the point. The thing is, yeah, this film has fucking moral issues, but that's not the moral issues. But but do both films have moral issues? The the original uh, tries to deal with it. We'll get into that. But this one just it doesn't even try. It doesn't even we, try. We we get fucking scenes of the rapist feeling guilty. Fuck that. That's the issue. Not her getting revenge. Anyway, we'll get it's to that shortly. It's, similar. it's it's you know it's meant to sort of be, but real, but not not real. You know, you have to make a story out of it. You know, you have mm-hmm. to sort of, you can't. I don't know. I don't know. You can't be moralizing every single aspect. No. I mean, this is that is what the film is about. But I'm now I'm talking about the original. I'm not talking about the remake. But it's also an allegory of a bigger idea. Yeah. And, a, you know, uh-huh. themes and layers to it. Rodney Eastman's character Andy says fucking A several times throughout this film. Do you know why? Is that what he said? No, he, how can he say that? He, he, was, he didn't talk in... This was a catchphrase used by his character's best friend, Kincaid. Ah. In Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, where Eastman played Joey. Oh, Joey. This is a better Sarah Butler accidentally chipped Jeff Branson's tooth film in the torture scene where she's forcing him to uh, perform fellatio on a gun. Actual, actual unloaded firearms were used throughout the film rather than prop replicas due to budgetary constraints. And we mm. now know, thanks to Hollywood's latest uh, incident, that that is a terrible idea. Something... Everyone probably should have known in the first place. What a fucking stupid idea. It was unloaded. Yeah, but still. Well, yeah, it chipped his tooth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, the actors did all their own stunts, barring two stunts that insurance wouldn't cover, which was Jennifer jumping into the river to escape her attackers and Matthew falling down the stairs. Okay. That's it. <laughs> okay, so getting into the films. Yes. So, I Spit on Your Grave, 1978. Uh, short story writer Jennifer Hills lives in Manhattan and rents an isolated cottage in Kent, Connecticut, near the Houstonic River. Housatonic. Housatonic, excuse me. Housatonic River in the Litchfield County countryside to write her first novel. You probably both said it wrong. That's oddly <laughs> specific. I'm sorry, I, I got a little bit of this from Wikipedia and then obviously added my own notes. Um, just to keep track of it all, so I don't go, go on too much about um, certain things. Like how she sounds like she's writing a song rather than a book. Yeah. <laughs> all that hair. Um, but that's oddly specific, because I don't think any of that's mentioned in the actual no. film. <laughs> she's not like, oh, I'm loving this co- isolated <laughs> cottage in Kent, Connecticut, near the uh, Housatonic River in the Litchfield County countryside. <laughs> Uh, but there we go. Um, she, when we first see her, she's slaying in a red dress and heels, but she's got this weird Victorian updo mm-hmm. that makes her look like an old school teacher. <laughs> Highly unflattering. She looks like the fucking Duchess of Duke Street. <laughs> um, but the rest of her is on point. Uh, the arrival of the attractive and independent young woman attracts the attention of Johnny Stillman, the gas station manager, and Stanley Woods and Andy Cherensky to unemployed men. Jennifer, I found Jennifer is friendly as a customer, but not flirtatious. No. I mean, this is a point in the film mm-hmm. that when they first meet, you know, so remember that. Well, the the thing is, she's kind of emotionless on both ends of this film. So she's kind of, at this point, just not really giving much. You know, she's she's certainly not giving any come-ons to anyone. No. She's, um, by any means. She's chatty. Yeah. But she's chatty, and she's probably more chatty than I would be mm. with a stranger. But, you know, that says more about me than it does her. Yeah. Um, but it comes back later in the film that this was misconstrued. Yeah. Which is a good point, you know, and it's true to life in mm. many cases. Um, one thing, that when she gets to the um, isolated cottage and the river, um, the first thing she does is she goes skinny dipping. She does. And we get some full frontal nudity from her. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure of the point of having this it's the fact that she's in an isolated place where you know supposedly it's just her so she's just doing whatever she wants as she should be able to do as she should be able to do but the fact that we as an audience get to see it get to see it I felt like it was sexualising the character I feel that's very clumsy filmmaking I think it was Uh, and I I think it was um, I don't know getting your nudity quota in yeah, and and that's the thing. I you know I think where this film falls apart at times, and and you know uh, by all means I'll stand here, I'll sit here, and I'll say I think it's a good film, but I think where it falls apart is the director does too much in some scenes and too little in others because I mean it is very clear it's coming from 
a first-time filmmaker who had no idea what he was doing for the absolutely, most part. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that scene is definitely a great example of that because whilst he's trying to show her going about doing her, you know, doing whatever she wants because she's at a place that she's rented for herself with no one around, it also kind of sexualizes it for an audience in 1978 who were used to explo- exploitation by this point and would go and see horror films to get a bit of nudity. Yeah. I think the idea is that she's a free spirit. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think I think he would put it in there to get a bit of nudity in in mm. the film because there is a lot of nudity from Camille Keaton in this yeah. film, but obviously you're not meant to enjoy it. That's no. not that's not the point. Mm-hmm. But this is a little bit at the beginning that a straight male audience can enjoy. Yeah, which is kind of your target audience for these films. Yeah, even though this could be perceived as a feminist film, your target audience. To get butts in seats for a horror film, particularly with that advertising, is, you know, female nudity. Yeah. You know, it, it's a straight male audience. Um, so, yeah, I just I just thought that was a little strange to, to have her start off like mm-hmm. that. Um, Jennifer has her groceries delivered by Matthew Duncan, who is mildly mentally disabled. Matthew is friends with the other three men and reports back to them about the beautiful woman he met, claiming that he saw her breasts. Yeah, both of these films, the uh, disability representation is fucking abysmal. It's not great. Um, unsurprisingly, Matthew is played with not a single ounce of subtlety. No. And even worse in the remake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, consider, I mean, the actors weren't mentally disabled, no, um, as far as I know, no, as no, far no. As I, know and, I, I and that's look. the thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's insensitive in the original, but straight up offensive in the original. Yeah, it's but completely pointless. I would yeah. put the case out there, and I'll probably say it again during the podcast, but I'll say it now, that the character of Matthew was completely pointless in both films. Yeah, unnecessary. Um, she she's chatty with him. I think she realizes that he's um mentally disabled um so she's not flirtatious but she's nice and she does say at one point i have many boyfriends i'm not sure why she would say that mm. um but she she says it and i think he sees that as a come on mm. um she also says it's okay if you haven't heard of me my short stories have only been published in women's magazines to which i put a note mm, must be a feminist <laughs> <laughs> So I think she's definitely representing the modern woman. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I said, free-spirited. Yeah. She writes for women's magazines. Probably, you know, a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not fearful of being by herself no. as a woman. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Um, we then get an hilarious scene where Matthew is struggling to have a shit in the woods. Uh, he's with the other fellas. <laughs> I say hilarious, obviously, with pure sarcasm. Um, they then discuss whether beautiful women shit or not. And discuss the ins and outs of, you know, how a beautiful woman would shit. Uh, Matthew discusses Jennifer and how he would like to sleep with her. I'm I'm assuming it's simply because she was friendly with him 
Yeah. And for some strange reason, he thought she was being flirtatious. Because that's what men do. Yeah. I, I, this, is, this is the problem with the character of Matthew, is that he, he's not... With something like this, this could actually be a representation of men mm. and how men read signals. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's something that comes up in a lot of films and, mm. you know, you go on Twitter, you go on social media and you see it all the time. Yeah. I mean, we both have friends who have been accused of giving out the wrong signal. Yeah. And it's, you know, ended up with men being assholes basically. Yeah. But the problem is, because Matthew is mentally disabled... Mm. Then where where are we putting this? I think again, is it because he's a man or is it because he's mentally disabled? No, I I genuinely think again this is I I I truly think and it's not me defending the film but I truly think this is clumsy filmmaking again. Yeah, it is. because I think what the director's trying to say here is oh look see even even disabled men are the same. I I feel like that's the point they're trying to get across that every you know they're trying to put that that even sometimes even. If you perceive someone to be uh, less of a threat because they are mentally disabled, which is a really iffy um, viewpoint in life, um, that's not always the case. And and they could be just as, as dangerous. And I think that's the whole idea of including the Matthew character, which is massively problematic. Um, it's not handled well. No. And, and, you know, maybe there is something that could be said about it, but... Not in this way. Mm. Not in this way. Um, you know, if... Should you let your guard down because, you know, someone is, you know, a particular way? Yeah, but she never had no. a guard. Exactly. Exactly. Part. And that's the thing, is the fact that she, you know, she didn't find him as a threat at all. And I, I think that's what he's trying to say, but it's just handled really... It's why she was slightly really more flirtatious yeah. with him yeah. than... Yeah. With Johnny at the gas station. Yeah. Both misconstrued yeah. her intentions. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. It's just handled badly. Really badly. Um, this isn't my writing. This is from Wikipedia. But Stanley and Andy start cruising by the cottage. <laughs> there is something between those two. There might yeah. have been, actually. They were together he all did To save his life, time. he did... He, later on in the film, spoiler alert, to save his life, he does get his cock out. Like, when he's oh, in the water, yeah. he literally immediately... first thing he does is get his trousers off. For absolutely no reason. But Stanley and Andy start cruising by the cottage in their boat and prowl around the house at night. Um, yeah, so they both bother Jennifer while mm. she's trying to write in a hammock. Um, she's wearing a bikini, you know, she's trying to catch a tan by yeah. the uh, by the river. In the isolated area that she's in the booked isolated out area for herself. She, you know, she's by herself. They show off in their speedboat. And I didn't... Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Um, but they had real shit-eating grins on their faces mm. whilst this... Um, speedboat was a a diagonal almost like an erect penis mm. i just i just thought it was quite a funny image of them sort of driving by with this kind of erect speedboat with shitty and grins on their faces yeah oh. but at the same time it's massively dark considering 
their intents and what they're about yeah. to do. I don't think the filmmaker was no. making that analogy, no. but I did because I read too much. But <laughs> the thing is, it wouldn't surprise me if he does, if he, if he was, because in some parts he's massively clumsy and uh, some stuff's problematic, but then in other parts, like some of the stuff coming up, he seems really clever and on point with his allegories. Well, at the end of the film, who's in the speedboat? Exactly, exactly. You know? Yes, it, there is some poetic filmmaking here. Like It's like I said, you know, her lack of emotions when she arrives there and when she leaves are for two completely different reasons. Mm. Um, and going back and, you know, like you said, with the speedboat and everything, it, it's it's some clever filmmaking. Yeah. By design, or... I hope so. I hope so. coincidence. I, I'd i like to think by design, because some of it is, is too on the nose yeah. to be by accident. Yeah. Well, in the evening, they make weird noises outside her window um, for no clear reason, really. We don't see them. Jennifer doesn't see them when she goes out to investigate the strange noises. I'm assuming it's the filmmaker's attempt to create some sort of suspense mm, and tension. I think so. Um, because that is something that's lacking. Uh, now we get to the the um, sexual assault scene. Um, one day, the men attack Jennifer. She realises that they planned her abduction so Matthew can lose his virginity. She fights back, but the three men rip her bikini off and hold her. Matthew refuses to rape Jennifer out of respect and pity for her, so Johnny and Andy rape her instead. After she crawls back to her house, they attack her again. Matthew finally rapes her after drinking alcohol. The other men ridicule her book and rip up the manuscript, and Stanley violently sexually assaults her. She passes out. Johnny realises that she is a witness to their crimes and orders Matthew to go and murder her. Matthew cannot bring himself to stab her, so he dabs the knife in her blood and then returns to the other men, claiming that he has killed her. So I'm going to start with a positive here. Um, and just, I mean, positive's not exactly the right word for it. But um, a nice little touch here is the whole ridiculing her book and ripping up the manuscript. Mm. Um, I feel like that represents... A lot of men's views, especially within Hollywood at that time, at women within the film industry. Um, if you look at the ratio between female-directed films and male-directed films, it's fucking shocking. And it's improven now, but for many years it's been the same. Um, so I think the fact that they're not taking her seriously and these men are invading her space and ripping up her art, her, her art and, her, and her work... Um, I feel like that's a really great allegory that if it was intended that way, it should be able to bring some sort of awareness to it to anyone who notices that. Yeah, and I'm assuming that that writing would be a feminist piece yeah, of writing yeah, yeah. after writing for women's magazines. Yeah. So, again, you could see the patriarchy mm. and how they view feminism. Yeah. And not even just in the film industry, just in general, in me yeah, media in absolutely. general, you know. Um, just women not being taken seriously and women not being able to get their art out there. Yeah. Um, I, I think it just, it, you know, it's a very impactful scene as it is. Uh, but that just added a little more to it 
as well. Surrounding that, though, 25 fucking minutes. Yeah, it's the scene is 25 minutes long. Um, and you feel every minute yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into great detail no. about, you know, um, what happens. Um, but it, it's really, to me, unnecessarily yeah. long. It is. Um, I'm assuming the filmmaker wants to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that he was trying to um, shock an audience but to also, in his mind, realistically portray yeah. the sexual assault as to get his point across. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that isn't how it comes across. No. It feels exploitative. Um, it's... It, it, I just... Really, he could have made the same point in five minutes. Yeah. He really could have, or, or, or 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes on a really long time. Mm. And it's just really uncomfortable. And I just feel like that time could have been best spent somewhere else. Yeah. Afterwards, in actually dealing with Jennifer as a character and how she has responded to what's happened to her. Yeah, and... I, and... You know, I mean, it's a difficult one because I don't think any time limit should be put on raising awareness for sexual assault. But when your awareness is in the form of a film, um, and a film like a horror film where, you know, you're showing it in great detail, I think there should probably a time limit be put on it because it is a bit much. Um, it, it is uncomfortable to sit through. That is entirely the point. But it, it's like you said, it's unnecessary. 25 minutes is unnecessary. Um, and if you compare it to modern day rape revenge films like, uh, Revenge, that doesn't even show it. No. It's implied. Yeah. It's implied and it is just as impactful. Yeah, absolutely. If not more. Um, but then also something like The Nightingale, which does show it in great detail for quite a long time, that's effective, you know. And it also deals with it. It also deals with that character who goes through it, her reaction and what she's going through, as well as the revenge. Yeah. Both of those films are written and directed by women. I think that might be the difference. I, I, I do think so. <coughs> I, I do think so. Um, I, I will say Camille Keaton gives a, a wonderful oh, performance um, in the scenes where she is um, walking through the woods. Mm. Um, I do actually think she does really well um, in those scenes. And I actually think you could have just had that. Yeah. You could have just had Camille Keaton walking through the woods. She's nude. She's beaten. Mm -hmm. You know, she is, you know, going through, you know, a real horrific time. Yeah. You could have just had that and it would have been just as, as an impactful. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe that. And that's why it the rest of it feels 
exploitative. Absolutely, absolutely. She fully commits to this role, and we'll, we'll get into her performance later on, but it is fucking... Her, her performance is fucking amazing. Yeah, and one other issue that I have um, is that during um, the assault, the camera cuts to the men's faces. Mm. And because the actor... Matthew. Playing Matthew is so bad. He really is genuinely quite bad. Mm. Because he is so bad, it comes across as comical when it cuts to his face. Mm. Because he's, like, gurning. Yeah. And he's just pulling silly faces for no reason. Mm -hmm. And it, it just... It's very jarring. Very yeah. jarring. In the following days, a traumatised Jennifer pieces both herself and her manuscript back together. She goes to church and asks for forgiveness for what she has plans to do. Um, we get a scene with the perpetrators discussing Jennifer's corpse. Mm. Um, that annoyed me a bit because we could have had a little more time with Jennifer. Um, I know she's isolated. But there could have been a way to really show Jennifer's trauma. Yeah. Um, we could have also had a scene of her seeking help. Yeah. But being let down by authorities. I think this mm -hmm. is the moment we could have had that. Um, it's a common reoccurrence in many real life cases of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it would have been a good touch to, to sort of have that in there. Yeah. Um, and why she felt she had to get her own revenge. Um, there's not much in the film about really how Jennifer feels. Um, there was a scene earlier when she was in the hammock, when she was writing, and there was a voiceover narrative of what she was writing. I feel like they could have included that. Of, oh, maybe, definitely. Maybe she could have used her trauma in her writing, yeah. and we could have had a scene of her, you know, writing a new short story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I feel if there's one thing that the film really does badly is this sort of lack of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And you know that annoys yeah. me. Um, the men learn that Jennifer has survived and beat Matthew up for deceiving them. Jennifer calls in a grocery order knowing that Matthew will deliver it. He takes the groceries and a knife. At the cabin, Jennifer entices him to have sex with her under a tree. She then hangs him and drops his body into the lake. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> Matthew's acting again borders on ridiculous. Um, this, yeah. Yeah, good Good for her. <laughs> There's no sympathy for him. You know, like, do you know what, yeah. mate? Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, at the gas station, Jennifer seductively directs Johnny to enter her car. She stops halfway to her house, points a gun at him and orders him to remove all his clothing. Johnny insists that the rapes were all her fault because she enticed the men by parading around in revealing clothing. She pretends to believe this and invites him back to her cottage for a hot bath where she masturbates him. When Johnny mentions that Matthew has been reported missing, Jennifer states that she killed him. As he is near orgasm, she takes the knife Matthew brought with him and severs Johnny's genitals. 
She leaves the bathroom, locks the door and listens to classical music as Johnny screams, bleeding to death. After he dies, she dumps his body in the basement and burns his clothes in the fireplace. So some notes I got about this one is uh, the start of it, where, he's, where he tells her he doesn't like women giving him orders. If there's one thing this film portrays really well, it's fucking toxic masculinity. Oh my god, yeah. The, yeah, the whole idea of... Nothing scarier than a straight white oh, man with confidence. Dying. Uh, and the fact that they, you know, do the attack together and everything, all bros bonding and whatever, fuck that. Like, it is... It's genuinely so obnoxious. Like, everything about these characters is just fucking obnoxious. And Johnny is the worst. I am glad he gets the best death. He is the worst and gets the best death. Um, I said Johnny's arrogant initial assumption that she wants to have sex with him after what they've done and maybe mm. actually enjoyed the rape makes him the most despicable and his gruesome murder the most satisfying. And he's a married man. And, you know, he's like, oh, whether you're a married man, uh, whether you're married or not, a man is just a man. And then goes on about her showing off her sexy legs and wearing a bikini like she was just waiting for them. Fuck off. Well, he seems particularly offended by her um, having her tits out with no bra. Yeah. Uh, tits with no bra. Um, when she was with Matthew, when initially met Matthew. Yeah. Um, again, you know, the feminist idea of bra burners, which I don't... Th- I'm not sure how true that was. Um, but the idea of women being unrestrained mm. by burning their bras and not not wearing well, uh, underwear. It all boils down to a point that people are trying to make to this very day, which I, I argued about on social media last night, is that men think just because women dress a certain way that that means they're, they're asking for sex and they, they need to be sexually assaulted. Go, just, no. Just no. no absolutely ridiculous way of looking at life and if you think that way then you should get some fucking help because it's not the case at all women should be able to dress however the fuck they want and do whatever the fuck they want without being in danger of being sexually assaulted you're the one who needs the fucking help you're the one who needs to stop fucking assuming that's what they want and stop thinking like that it's fucking ridiculous it's the stupidest argument i've ever fucking heard um, and, and portraying it in this film, it really gets that fucking point across. He is that exact type, he plays that exact type of guy. Yeah. And that is, is so infuriating to watch, and it makes the revenge so satisfying. If anything, the film is about the changing of, um, a woman's place in society. Yeah. Yeah. And the effect and reaction it's had from a patriarchal, yeah. um, perspective mm-hmm. so i feel like johnny and the men represent the old yeah jennifer represents the new uh-huh and that's where the sort of conflict for want of a better word oh, definitely comes in so he believes that because she would dare to wear um a top without a bra mm. therefore she's asking for it mm. and they even say you know these broads from new york they're always up yeah. for it because new york was seen as very sophisticated mm-hmm. very modern very new these modern women they're always up for it so on one hand he's very much into the idea that this broad is always up for it yeah but on the other hand he's scared that these broads that are wanting it whenever they want it and getting whatever they want, not just sex, 
but in society is going to have effect on his masculinity mm-hmm. and his uh, patriarchal superiority. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting. Mm. And I think that sort of... It, it could have been dealt with better, but mm. I, I think it touches on that idea of the new coming in and the old being scared mm. of the new. And the double standards as well, you know, the fact that they're going around their speedboat without their tops on, you know, threatening her, making her feel uncomfortable and whatever. Well, you don't see her trying to sexually assault them, do you? Oh, my God. You know, and that still continues today. Mm. You know, this film was made in 1978. Yeah. We could still talk about it again and again and again and again. You know, it's still going on. Look at uh, pop, pop culture reference. Uh, Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl. Yeah. She showed a nipple and her career was destroyed. Yeah. Yet we had to see the lead singer of Maroon 5 with his top off for the whole set. I know, yeah. There's these weird double standards mm. that's still in place all these years later. Yeah. Uh, and something else that's kind of touched on but not really dealt with, uh, with I wish they would have looked into more, was the idea of Johnny having children Yeah. and a wife, whereas the others don't have that. Mm. I thought we might have gotten a little bit of exploration into Jennifer's guilt. Mm-hmm. At, you know, leaving two children fatherless and leaving a single mother. Mm. Um, There's a moment of it when he's talking about his kids and she's asking him questions. But I kind of wish they would have looked at that a little more. It would have been interesting. Um, But yeah, she cuts his cock off and he deserved it. (laughs) Stanley and Andy learn that Johnny is missing after getting a talent off by uh, Johnny's wife. And uh, they take their boat to Jennifer's cabin. Andy goes ashore with an axe. Jennifer swims out to the boat and pushes Stanley overboard. Andy tries to attack her, but she escapes with the axe. Andy swims out to rescue Stanley, but Jennifer plunges the axe into Andy's back, killing him. Stanley moves towards the boat and grabs hold of the motor to climb aboard, begging Jennifer not to kill him. She repeats the order he made to her during the sexual assaults. Suck it, bitch. Then starts the motor, disemboweling him and the propeller as she speeds with away. With the propeller? She didn't disembowel the, the propeller. <laughs> disemboweling him with the propeller. Yeah, you said and the propeller. Oh. <laughs> well, thanks for pointing that out. People, you know, may not have been paying that much attention to notice my mistakes. So that's our spit in your grave, 1978. You're not going to talk about the iconic pouting. Oh, I'm going to talk about that when we get to the character uh, comparisons. Oh, yes, of course. I keep forgetting this isn't like a normal episode. <laughs> this is, uh, we're going to have to talk about the shit remake. Yeah, uh, the original is a- an exploitation classic from yes. that era. Um, video Nasty classic, one of the better Video Nasties. And an all round good film, uh, not a nice film. By any means, it's not meant to be. Uh, until you get to that second half when it enters the good for her cinematic universe. And then from that point onwards, it is enjoyable. Because you want to see them get their just desserts. And if you, for any reason, feel worried for the men during that half, then yeah, I think you're looking at the film the exact wrong way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you are 100% on Jennifer's side. 
throughout the whole yeah. film. And I think that's really important for a film it like is. this. It is. You have to be on her side for the whole time. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes it effective. Yeah. Does it take it too far at some points and sort of negates what it's trying to do? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's a first time filmmaker, you know, not being 100% there. Um, one thing I definitely think the film needed was a woman on the writing team. Yeah, absolutely. It was just him. Uh, and yes, he was basing it off something that happened to him, but it never actually happened to yeah. him. If you understand what I no, mean. No, absolutely. He was only there for the aftermath mm-hmm. and he to help. But he wasn't there for the actual aftermath which is the post-traumatic stress yeah. from that incident. And I think a woman writing with him could have said, actually, let's do it this way. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been a more effective film. Yeah. So, because it's a uh, video nasty, and to keep it on brand with what we've been doing all month for oh, Nasty no. November, uh, nastiest moment is, of course, there's nowhere around it. It's the entire sexual assault sequence. It, it really is. It really is. I, don't, um, I, w- I would say cutting his cock off. Yeah, that's not nasty. We want to see that happen. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah, but it's nasty. That's probably, you know, part of why it was a video yeah. nasty. It's, it's the goriest scene, mm-hmm. should we say. Yeah. Um, I mean, usually the nastiest moment, uh, I've been uploading all of them to YouTube all month. Oh. We would not be uploading this one to YouTube because there's no need to exploit it anymore than it's already been done. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's not like I wouldn't recommend this film. No. People. No. You know, what, no. I, w- I would recommend just the film. Just know what you're letting yourself in for. Yeah. For that first hour. Absolutely. Sadly, I'm here to read out 2010. It's Ice Bit on Your Grave. Immediately, we have a soundtrack which informs us that our lead character is in danger, something the original didn't have and didn't need. Novelist Jennifer Hills travels from New York City to Louisiana this time around because, hey, you know what we need? We need Southerners. Yes. To work on her next book in privacy. The gas station attendant, Johnny, gives her directions to her rented cabin where she gets lost. He embarrasses himself trying to flirt with her. We get a very generic horror setup where it feels like your typical run-of-the-mill cabin in the woods horror film where Jennifer meets a bunch of dodgy, I, I don't know if it's the politically correct term, but redneck stereotypes. I feel like, are we allowed to say redneck? I, I, it's not... Okay, well don't say it again, for fuck's sake. Um, apologies if, I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's what it's always been classed as in horror films and modern horror films say it I'm well. sure there's films with that word yeah. in the title. Well, there's films with other words... And then it's a good point, yeah. But anyway, you know what we mean. What does it even mean? I don't where does, you, where you, does it come from? You know what we mean. They all voted for Trump. Um, all those stereotypes are there and they investigate multiple strange noises uh, that turn out to be nothing at all uh, whilst accompanied by the generic score. Yeah, my problem with this southern... I'm going to say southern stereotype. Southern stereotype mm-hmm. is that the film isn't just about misogyny. Mm-hmm. It's not just about men and women. No. It's now become a class thing. Yeah. Which was slightly touched on in the original, 
but it's a big deal in this film. Uh huh. They don't resent her because she's a woman. They resent her because she's she's um sophisticated. She's from yeah. the big city. Did she say New York? Yeah. She's from New York. You know, it's that resentment which makes the film about something else and it isn't about women. Yeah. It's about class and it keeps coming up. But in even the film and it really annoyed me. Johnny even says that um all men from New York are, are homosexuals, obviously, using the slur, because it's 2010. Um, but that, that exactly proves that point. It is just about class, you know? Yeah, and he... Uh, well, we'll get into it. Yeah. She also conveniently drops the phone down the toilet, so no one watching the film can be like, well, why didn't you call the police? Uh, when the cabin's plumbing becomes clogged, it's fixed by Matthew, a stuttering plumber with an intellectual disability. She rewards him with an abrupt kiss of uh, gratitude. Matthew tells Johnny and his friends Andy and Stanley about his visit. Johnny, whose ego was bruised after the gas station incident, decides that Jennifer is snobbish and needs to be taught a lesson. There we go. That night, the four men sneak into the cabin, make random noises to lead her outside and take a selfie on her laptop webcam when she's out, because we're in 2010, um, before they taunt her and assault her. Although Matthew refuses to participate. She escapes into the woods and bumps into Sheriff Storch and Earl, the owner of the cabin. Storch takes her, uh, takes her back to the cabin, uh, but when he finds the drugs and alcohol, he casts doubts on her story. He finds a bigger problem with the fact she's been drinking alcohol and smoking weed uh, before proceeding to feel her up and down slowly while searching her, sniffing her and then threatening her. And we have an unnecessary fifth character. Yeah. Um, when he started questioning her about her drinking habits and the marijuana cigarettes, I was like, oh my God, they've added something to the remake that I felt was missing in the original. Yeah. Oh my God, well done, well done. Oh, oh shit. Oh, he's part of it. No. Um, he's just a ripoff of the cop from Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. That's, that's all he is. Yeah, um, completely unnecessary. Um, when they're when they first enter the house, they're very much into humiliating her mm. and trying to like bring her down a peg. Yeah, and then that kind of when the sheriff gets involved, is really when the sexual assault happens, mm. and I feel like he sort of led that. Yeah. Um, whereas, again, I feel like they were humiliating her. They kept calling her a show horse um, and wanting to see her teeth. Yeah. Which I thought he said titties. Mm. And then she started opening her mouth. And I was like, what, what's I, going on here? You can hardly tell because they're fucking terrible actors. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really sure what he was saying. But they're trying to bring her down a peg because they think she's snooty. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I just thought I just thought it was interesting where this film um, feels a lot more like a home invasion film yeah. at the beginning mm-hmm. rather than a rape revenge film. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when the strangers is popular, isn't it? There we go, yeah. Johnny, Matthew, Andy and Stanley return. They all sexually assault her, uh, including an initially reluctant Matthew. Which includes a really odd scene of Storch taking a call from his daughter whilst the rest of the men hold Jennifer down in the background. 
And it kind of comes across like it's done for comedic purposes, which, in case you didn't know, is not okay at all. Like, not even close to okay. I don't feel like it was trying to be comedic. Um, Because when he takes the call, it's from his daughter, and it's about not being there to make breakfast before they go to church. And he's having this conversation while a, a sexual assault is taking place in the background. What I'm assuming the filmmakers were trying to do is to make a statement about religious and authority figures mm. being, you know, um, two-sided. I hope that's what they were trying to do. That's what I'm assuming they were trying to I do. I really hope it is. Stanley records everything with his video camera because it's 2010. Afterward, just as Storch is about to shoot her, Jennifer falls into the river to escape. She begins to stalk her rapists in order to learn details of their lives. Matthew has uh, film trailer-like flashbacks to the sexual assault sequence in a scene that has been made to make him look sympathetic. He then sees Jennifer staring at him while she looks like a possessed ghost. Supernatural figure. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley tells Andy and Johnny that his camera has been stolen along with a videotape of their assault. Jennifer randomly throws dead birds, a flip-flop and some elastic bands at Johnny's house to scare him. Because it's 2010. I do think... Sorry, just going back slightly. I do think that Jennifer jumping into the river to save herself mm. works better than having Matthew being reluctant to kill her. Yeah. I do think that works better, um, especially considering he tries to get her sympathy, you know, later on. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's Jennifer showing her intuition, um, jumping into the river to save herself. But it's really lazy, though. It just feels like they're taking it from the Last House on the Left remake. Yeah. N- nothing on display feels original. No. At all. Storch intercepts a videotape sent to his wife and confronts the men to find out who sent it. Johnny and Andy suspect Matthew. When they go hunting, Storch kills Earl, saying that he is taking care of loose ends. Completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. I, I've got it here. This um, film is an hour and 48 minutes long. You yeah. do not need to be that long. I've got, why is so much time being dedicated to the rapist? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... There's also a scene where Jennifer's stalking them and leaving her flip-flop outside. And we're like, oh my God, where did this come from? And we're like, why would they recognise the design of Jennifer's flip-flop? Why is Jennifer playing games with rapists as part of her revenge? Was the actress double booked? Like, she's barely fucking in it. Um, Did the sheriff have to kill the old man for us to really know he's evil? Has he not done enough? Yeah. Has he not done enough to warrant, you know, the cathartic revenge? Mm-hmm. Yes. Matthew returns to the cabin and meets Jennifer. He has a little cry and attempts to apologise to her. Oh, poor Matthew. What the fuck? Why are you trying to make us sympathise with these people? He is a fucking rapist. It doesn't matter... If he has a disability and, you know, it doesn't matter. He fucking raped her. But it, it it's kind of, it's a weird one. Because he wasn't actively trying to help her. 
Mm. Are we are we meant to believe that he was trying to stop them? At no point did he try to stop no. them. No. Um, the idea in the original is that Matthew had some alcohol. Yeah. And then got involved. Yeah. Um, I mean, he took one swig, but um, that's never here now. In this one, he doesn't. He he suddenly just, you know, pipes up and says, "I'm ready now." Mm. And then assaults. Yeah, her. he's absolutely just as much to blame as the rest of them. Exactly. He shouldn't be having a guilty scene where we're meant to sympathise with him. Yeah, and he shouldn't be crying to her. And also, Jennifer shouldn't be saying to him that she knows it wasn't his fault. It was absolutely his fault. Absolutely, it was. He was just as to blame as the rest of them. Yeah. So she says to him, "It's not his fault." She apologises. And then says it's not enough and begins to strangle him with some rope. Yeah, she says, sorry, it's just not good enough. And then strangles him with the rope. Uh, I put, thank God, thought she was going to forgive him. <laughs> she captures Stanley in a bear trap, ties him to a tree, smears fish guts on his face, and then leaves his camera to record crows pecking out his eyes, which she pinned open with fish hooks. She then drowns Andy and burns his face off in a uh, lye bathtub. Yeah. This scene involves because an interesting... <laughs> I know, yeah. This scene involves an interesting line of dialogue to which Andy says, fuck you, and Jennifer says, you already did that. I didn't enjoy it much. No. Just no. No. Absolutely That's not. not... No. It's, this is not that type of film. It's... Yeah. You, you should have left that one in the drafts. Absolutely not. You should have got someone to check over that. That is that's awful. not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I also find it... Ugh, what I find it weird is that she's kind of... She stalked them. And she spent all this time setting... Kind of setting up traps. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the original, yes, she lured them into situations. But it felt more visceral. Yeah. It was kind of like, I'm going to lure him into the bathtub. Then I'm going to cut off his car. Yeah. Whereas in this, I'm going to tie him up. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to put hooks under his eyelids. And yeah. then I'm going to put a rat in his mouth. Then I'm going to rub him with fish guts. I'll get some fish guts from somewhere. Then I'm going to hope that the birds come along and peck his eyes out. Yeah, this absolutely tried its best to delve into the torture porn thing that was popular at the time. Yeah, um, and I, I feel like with remakes they should be pushing more mm. um, for a modern audience. Yeah, and so it has to be a bit more than the original was, mm-hmm. and especially they're able to do more. Yeah, you know, to keep a certain audience's interest. Um, but come on, guys, it's it's a bit ridiculous. It is. Which you really have spent all that time coming up with these, like, traps, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's great to see, you know. It's, yeah. It's what, what, it's what we're all here to see, but it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's wonderfully cathartic because they really do suffer before mm. they die. Yeah. It just, it feels far-fetched, though. Next. And it's, it, it, sorry um, to interrupt. No, carry on. But it's also probably the reason she's barely in the fucking film. Yeah, yeah. Because she's setting up all these fucking traps. Because she's setting up all these fucking traps. YouTube tutorials and how to fucking torture people. <laughs> Next, she ties Johnny to the rafters of an abandoned house and uses pliers to pull out his teeth, 
which causes him to piss himself. She forces him to suck a gun and then uses a pair of garden shears to cut his cock off, shoves it into his mouth and then leaves him to bleed to death. This is, and I've put down, Johnny's death scene is indicative of how audiences and sensibilities have changed. Yeah. In the original, in the bath, knob off, you don't even see the knob. He's just holding and there's blood in the water. In this, Jennifer pulls out his teeth, makes him perform fellatio on a gun. He has a piss. He pisses himself. <laughs> she then cuts off his cock and shoves it in his mouth. <laughs> you see how times change? Ridiculous. Whilst torturing all of them, she repeats to all of the men the taunts that they had used on her. Criminal mastermind Jennifer, um, just, Jennifer I'm Jigsaw. I'm just imagining back in the 80s if it was a film that had all that in it. I know. And how so that would but both would have had simultaneous heart attacks and died. And the, uh, the video, you know... They wouldn't have been able to have taken... They'd have to the, rename the video Nasty. They, 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 they wouldn't have been able to have took it, would they? They wouldn't. Whilst torturing... Uh, yeah, we know that. She tells them all what they said, whatever. Criminal mastermind Jennifer visits Storch's wife, uh, who never seems to be concerned about Storch's suspicious behaviour, by the way. But she's always like, oh... Well, the idea is that he's a sheriff, so he always has to be on call. Yeah, but like he literally, the scene with the tape, he starts rubbing the it all over his face. Tape, yeah, like he shoves it in strange. his fucking mouth, shoves it up his ass and whatever. And she's there like, oh, okay. Um, so Jennifer's posing as their daughter Chastity's new teacher. Who the fuck calls her daughter Chastity? Uh, she takes the daughter to the park. <laughs> she takes the, do- the daughter to the park. And when Storch tracks her there, she knocks him unconscious. When he wakes up, Jennifer stuffs his shotgun up his ass. And reminds him that she was just as innocent as his own daughter. She attaches one end of a string to the trigger and the other end to the wrist of the unconscious Matthew, who is in seat, who is seated in front of Storch, because she is basically Jigsaw now. Yes. When Matthew wakes up, he sees the band sheriff and tries to move, triggering the shotgun, which fires around through Storch's ass and mouth before hitting Matthew in the chest, killing both men. Sitting outside, Jennifer hears the gunshot and smiles. Yeah, completely <laughs> pointless. Um, that whole setup. Yeah. Like what we always we just, already just thought Matthew was dead. Yeah. Just kill him. I understand why the shotgun is up his ass <laughs> because he during the sexual assault scene said that he was an ass man. Because again the remake has to take it a step further. Yeah. Um so I understand that, and it's, you know, a revenge that fits the crime to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why is she Jigsaw? <laughs> what is what is this? It, it's absolute trash. I fucking hate this film so much. There was nothing, because she had fuck all fucking development before the assault. Yeah. And absolutely no screen time after, yeah. before the killing started. Yeah. There's nothing to indicate why she would be good at these. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the 1978 film raises topics we still discuss this very day. So technically a 1978 film is aged better than a film released in 2010. This remake was unnecessary on another level. Yeah. Didn't need to happen at all. And it especially didn't need to be made like a fucking generic horror film. But that brings me on to our comparison rounds. First up, cinematography, scares, kills, and soundtrack. 
1978 was very well shot for the majority of the film. But it doesn't stylize it. It doesn't stylize the rape sequence. Uh, it looks gritty and horrible, as it should. Yeah, I think it's a budget thing. Mm. Um, although we're here saying it's a big budget. Very confusing. Well, I mean, it's 1.5 million in yeah. 1978. Yeah. But it's it's gritty. It feels realistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it does what it needs to do. Yeah. In terms of cinematography. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, Excuse the, me. The, the death scenes are in, they're inventive, empowering, satisfying, and so nasty in every way possible. And like I said earlier, visceral. Yeah. It's how you would imagine somebody getting revenge. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's not going through a thought process. It's not thinking of traps and such like... Things like that. Yeah. It's getting revenge. I want you dead. I will spit on your grave. Yeah. And the four the four process that goes into it um, is the fact that she shows up and she is dressed however she wants to dress. You know, her clothes are as short as they want them to be. She looks amazing. Like a fucking white ghost-like gown when she first comes back and kills Matthew um, with nothing on underneath. And then, you know... The clothes she wears to uh, seduce Johnny. It completely... It takes what they said, gave them the come-ons and, and made her easy, uh, you know, in their eyes. It takes that idiotic ideology from, from them and uses it against them because she's there. She's dressed like that. And, you know, that could lead them to thinking of things. But she is there to fucking kill them. Yeah. It's it's such a great move that she looks so good whilst doing it. What do you think of... Uh, and We didn't actually speak about it when we were talking about the films. But what do you think of her using her sexuality mm. to exact revenge? I love it. it. It's it's so empowering. It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that as a man, but... Although she's getting revenge for a sexual assault... Mm. There's something the remake doesn't do. Yeah. Um, but she's getting revenge for a sexual assault by making herself, by choice, mm. sexually available. What do you think about that? I feel like that's her saying, look, I will fucking be sexually active if I want to be sexually active. I'm taking control. Mm. This is me in charge of my body. And now I'm about to cut your cock off. Yeah. I And I, I that's how I look at it. And I think that is great. I think that is such a good move. So it's taking back her sexuality. Yeah. yeah. And it's taking back her decision to choose. So she's choosing to do this. Yeah. So she's yeah. choosing to be sexual. Mm. As a means to exact her revenge. Mm. And I think that could be misconstrued by some people. This is how I see it and, and, yeah. and how Gary sees it. Obviously, everyone has different opinions. But I, 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 would, I would agree with you and say, actually, I think it's an empowering mm-hmm. thing that she's using the thing that they tried to take away from her mm. to exact her revenge. Oh, and the fact that she's wearing that bikini. At the end, you know, the bikini that they made such a massive deal about. Yeah. Because she was wearing it as, as an invite for them. She's wearing it. She fucking sneaks onto one of their boats. She's there, readily available for him. 
you know, she's acting flirtatious and he's terrified. Yeah. And it's, he's it's, terrified. It's great poetic filmmaking. And it's also the arrogance of these men mm. to think that she would want to choose oh, no. to yeah. sleep with them yeah. after what they did. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. are so dumb. You are really dumb. Uh-huh. For real. Absolutely. Uh, no soundtrack other than the horrific harmonica scene that is filled with suspense. It is so intense, that scene. Um, where she's surrounded mm-hmm. and, and he's just playing the harmonica, using it like the score. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, the organ in the church scene, the classical record she puts on. The No Soundtrack is such a great move because, you know, it's not meant to be a traditional horror film. It, it, it's meant to raise awareness to a certain extent. Yeah. And, and to add to the realism. Add to the realism, yeah. You know, yeah. She, it, it's only... Um, oh. Circumstantial, would you say circumstantial was yeah. the phrase? Yeah, yeah. yeah, circumstantial soundtrack. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't hear that music in real life. And so if you're trying to be realistic, that's, you know, like truly 100% realistic and gritty, mm-hmm. then, yeah, that's what you do. And yeah. I, I think it's a good choice. I really do. The audio is a bit rough for some of the more dialogue-heavy scenes, I found. Mm. Um, and the door creaking sound effect for the hanging scene was an odd choice. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. But I'd rather take that than anything from 2010, where everything was far too polished and clean for the most part. It does that thing that the remakes did. And I, I fully blame Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 for that weird, like, like, um, a filter? Mm. Is it a filter? Where they, all these remakes ended up looking the same. Yeah. Because of that strange filter. And funny enough, the ones that didn't were actually the better ones. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, this is so polished and clean. It felt like a generic cabin in the woods horror film. And that is so wrong and so distasteful on so many levels. This is not the sort of horror film that should be made for entertainment value. It, it is, you know, like I said, the first one was a feminist film made it to raise awareness of sexual assault for, for the most part. This, this, I don't mean this fucking cares at all. It is literally just there to be a throwaway horror film. A typical 2010 throwaway horror film. For me, it felt like it wanted to be a home invasion film and incorporate elements of what was popular at the time. Mm. What was popular at the time was Strangers, uh, Saw. Yeah. So it tried to incorporate all those but wanted to have the name I Spit On Your Grave. Mm. You know, it's extra publicity. So they, the I felt like the sexual assault was an afterthought mm. in terms of making the film. Yeah. Because they had to include it because it's a remake of I Spit On Your Grave. Yeah. But they never dealt with it and the sort of gender politics for want mm. of a better phrase surrounding that because that was never re- I do I really feel like that was never the intention which is why you get really inappropriate jokes yeah like you already did yeah you know it's why you get stuff like that it's why you get and, and it's kind of a visual gag the sheriff with the shotgun up his yeah. ass but it's a visual gag that relates 
to a really horrible thing yeah. that happened. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's not that sort of film. It shouldn't be that sort of film. Like, the the whole sexual assault sequence, it felt stylized, and that is awful. One thing I'm quite glad they did was that they, when she passed out, the camera cut. Mm. And then we came back I was just about, yeah, to yeah. when she woke up. My problem is, they shortened the sexual assault sequence. Great. I don't, yeah. I don't want to see five men sexually assaulting Exactly. Um, but where it shortens the sexual assault, it replaces it with more violence and humiliation. Yeah. Which also isn't exactly pleasant to watch. Especially when they're trying to sexualize it. Yeah, so that humiliation, that for me, that sort of comes into the home invasion mm. category. Yeah. Um, so that's where it kind of doesn't fit together. Because you should just have the whole thing as a home invasion film. Mm. You know, you're either doing one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. The kills are decent enough. Uh, some great practical effects. When they are on screen, mm. uh, well, actually, sorry, I wrote that when uh, I thought Matthew was killed off screen. Yeah, um, no, they all were on. But all on they were all on screen. Um, but let's face it, it's just trying to be a torture porn film in the vein of Saw and Hostel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the soundtrack just pissed me off so much. So generic, so generic, so forgettable. Yeah, it, it is true. just there to let you know you're watching a horror film. Uh huh. Getting into characters. We have Jennifer Hills, played by Camille Keaton in 1978 and Sarah Butler in 2010. Camille Keaton is just fantastic um, in, in 1978. She's always got that killer pout on the go. And yes, during the final scene, she is driving a boat, waving an axe in the air and pouting at the same time. What a fucking icon. <laughs> She's angelic at times, innocent... And just a strong, independent woman who has just wanted to get on with her fucking work and just wanted to get on with her life. And then all this happens. Yes. You know, she's so likeable. She's so sympathetic. Um, you know, again, it, it doesn't it doesn't help that she it's not dealt with after the sexual assault scene. You know, she should have had more screen time with that. It felt like it was very rushed when it came to her after, you know, looking all sad and then being at church and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's the one thing I think it does miss out on because I think Camille Keaton would have been fucking fantastic doing that. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. She does such a, a great performance um, when it's needed, but it's not always needed mm. because it is, it's literally slight introduction sexual assault for 25 minutes slight bit of looking sad mm. with bruises and then revenge yeah and that's it there's only really two main yeah. things in the film and i would have liked to have seen just more development for her like yeah. where did she get from a to b mm -hmm. you know yeah. what what was going on you know, and I think mm. it, she's very much a sympathetic character. We're definitely on her side, but I think it would have added to that and it would have added an extra layer to the film. Yeah. And you really, you really would have gone like, yes, you fucking get him. Yeah, I still did, but yes. Yeah, I, I totally but even more. <laughs> Again, you know, she looked fucking stunning whilst getting her revenge. Um, it just made the revenge even better. 
Yeah. You know, um, and the fact that the men still think she's just a pretty face who wouldn't hurt anyone. Um, whilst she's kill, about to kill them, you know, they wouldn't take her work seriously yeah. uh, during the initial attack. And, and they wouldn't even take her seriously as a person when she literally has their lives in her hands. She is there in the bath with a fucking knife in front of Johnny. And she's like, yeah, I killed um, Matthew. And he's like, yeah, well, whatever, get out of here. And it's like, no, she she literally did kill him. You're, yeah. you're about to fucking die. Uh, and then with the boat at the end, you know, uh, which we did forget to mention, um, one of them does come running out. With with his cock out, that's the scene. Where it oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah, because he wants to jump in the water, <laughs> but he feels the need to take his dungarees yeah. off. And nothing on underneath. But nothing on underneath. He's there in the water with his cock out, calling her a slut. <laughs> um, while well, she's about to kill them, you know, they are about to die, and they're they're still bothered about what they perceive to be her being a slut. It's yeah. fucking ridiculous. Um, but, you know, she fucking owns it. She's so fucking good. I I really, you know, I wish she had more roles back then. Yeah, yeah. She she is one that sort of didn't really go on to much. Sarah Butler, 2010. You know, she's really in the fucking film, but she provides a good performance when she's in the film. She's the yeah. best, you know, thing about the film. Um, but she's played out like a generic modern horror character. Yeah. Like everything else in the film. Uh, she's made to look like some sort of supernatural entity when she first comes back. It's yeah, it's really strange. There's a big gap where she's not in the film. Yeah. So we get no development whatsoever, and until she finally resurfaces, and like we said, she's jigsaw. Yeah, she's just basically and jigsaw. she's just she's just out for setting up traps. I mean, she's a a criminal mastermind who poses as a teacher. Uh, and I love that for her, but it, yeah, it's just fucking dumb. It's really dumb. Um, but great performance. But again, you know, Camille Keaton is is the winner of that round. Um, and I, I don't know if I said it, but yeah, cinematography, soundtrack, whatever. Oh, That's yeah. obviously the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've just put all the men together because they all work as one moron. They do, es- yeah, they do essentially... Johnny, Stanley, Andy and Matthew and Storch in the remake. Played by Aaron Tarber, uh, Anthony Nichols, Gunter Kleeman and Richard Pace in the original 1978. And Jeff Branson, Daniel Francis, uh, Rodney Eastman, Chad Lindbergh and Andrew Howard in 2010. Yes, the guy from Mean Girls is in this. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, in the original, I'm glad that Johnny gets the nastiest death after a speech about the way women dress, uh, because uh, the guy who plays him is just, he, he really, he's determined to make us fucking hate that character. Yeah. And they, I mean, they, they all are, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They're not the best actors in the world, um, especially no. the guy who plays Matthew. But when he's tasked with that sort of role... It's just the wrong way to go about it. It really is. It's, for me, I find, and I said it before, but the character of Matthew, just, he, he wasn't necessary in either film. No. Um, in the original, I know they had to have a reason for her to survive. Yeah. So Matthew is reluctant to kill her. I understand that. 
Um, but it could have been... She could have survived in different ways. Absolutely. Um, I just... I, I just... I don't understand why the character exists in those films. No. Um, like, what's the purpose? Um, are we meant to be sympathetic? Because he's mentally disabled? Well, mm. no, not really. Um, so what's the point? Yeah. But that's the problem with the remake. Um, it feels like we're supposed to feel sorry for him. It, it's, yeah, he's the only one that shows any guilt. Mm. But again, what's the purpose of that? Yeah. Because it doesn't lead anywhere because he's just killed. All we get is, um, sorry's just not good enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. We get far too much time given to him in the remake. Way um, too much time. Southern, you know, stereotypes, horror creeps that use ableist and homophobic slurs because it's 2010. Uh, get an extra character because it's a modern remake. And of course, he's a cop who's involved in what's going on because people enjoyed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. It is fucking... Oh, I, just, I just hated everything about this. I really... These characters... You know, you're not meant to like him anyway. But question, you know, the stuff like him having the flip-flop at the door and that. I hate to think that's the case, but you don't think the filmmakers included that as a symbolism of him feeling guilty? No. No? No, that, was, good. that was so that we knew that she was um, on the prowl. Good. Um, yeah, no, either way... We're in the remake way too much. They're time the main characters. To, they they yeah. are the main characters in they the remake. Are. Way too, way, way, way too much time dedicated. But to them. we don't even get the revenge till like an hour and twenty minutes in when there's about twenty minutes left of the film. Yeah, exactly. Stupid. So the winners are the originals. And the overall and winner. And to them for actually taking their clothes. Off. I know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it's like you said in the um, in the trivia. Yeah. To make Camille Keaton feel more comfortable. They did nudity themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, something that doesn't happen in the remake. No, exactly. Uh, so the winner overall is the original Ice Bet on Your Grave, a.k.a. Day of the Woman from 1978. Yes. Yeah. So, no, completely agree. Like we said, check it out. Just know what you're going into. Um, and hopefully you can see the positives like we did. But it's it's a one time. I I've, I've said this someone has seen it like three times now, um, but uh, I mean it, it is really a one time watch kind of film for for a lot of people, completely understandable. So, on to our best and worst of the month. Yes, best of the month, best of the year, and I'll be surprised if it's beaten. Is drive my car. I agree. Good, good, that's correct. Um, Yeah, this film blew me away, absolutely blew me away. Um, Immediately became one of my favourite films of all time. It's so hard to describe, but it's phenomenal. It it, it is just amazing in every fucking way possible. Yeah. Three hours long and completely engaging for the whole three hours. If you struggle with long, quiet films... This is not for you. <laughs> so don't come screaming at us when you watch it and you're like, that was the worst thing I've ever watched. Um, but if you do like slow character pieces, like myself and Gary, 
then there's a lot What, we are slow character pieces? No, if you like <laughs> slow character pieces. Much like... Like we this. like... Yeah, no, it was, it was a joke. Thanks, ruined the joke. If you like slow I character pieces... Now you've ruined the podcast. If you like slow character pieces like me and Gary, you were saying. Yeah, then you'll find a lot of good <laughs> in that film. We really sold it. Uh, worse than you ruined it. I was really <laughs> selling it. I was going QVC on this bitch. You, you continue if it. you like. No, I can't remember what I was saying now. Our worst of the month, which I'm sure you'll also agree, is don't say its name. What? Exactly. Don't say its name. When did we watch that? <laughs> the uh, uh, Canadian. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Abattoir Horror Festival. Yeah. Yeah, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> oh, that's the one I just gave up on. I literally just gave up on it. It is fucking dire. Yeah. It's just so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, the, the acting, the CGI, the pacing, just, just, just no. Just no. I didn't even log it because I literally just gave up. I was like, I don't care. Did you have a different worst of the month? Uh, did I have a different worst of the month? Yeah, you haven't loved it. You must have a different one. Yeah, I can't even think of what it is. Well, I suppose it would probably be most disappointed. It would be Petite Maman. I suppose, yeah. That's yeah. my most disappointing. Um, even though it's a slow character piece. <laughs> we just, I just didn't... I just there's, didn't there's a difference. I just didn't really get what they were doing. Um, but a lot of people really liked it, so... I'm not going to tell you to start. Yeah. It's only an hour and seven minutes. Go go watch it. Um, oh, wait. No, excuse me. I must apologise. Oh Petite Mama, I do apologise. The worst of the month uh, month is obviously Paranormal Activity next time. Ah, <laughs> shit, yeah. Was that this month? Speaking of generic... Was that this month? That was this month. Fuck me. Beginning of November, 5th of November, remember it. <laughs> Because it was dire. I thought it was... Oh, might be mine, really actually. shit. And I don't get on well with Paranormal Activity. It's not my favourite. But this... Tr- oh, I don't know sure what it was trying. <laughs> it was shit. It was so generic. It was just insulting. It really was. It, it, it was. And I say that as a fan of the franchise. It, it was fucking dire. I, I, it felt like they were trying to be wreck. It felt like they were trying to be midsummer. Um, yeah, no, it was it was so so bad, so bad, mm-hmm. and it didn't even have the it didn't even have the decency to uh, connect itself to the other films. No. But yes, honorable mentions: the French Dispatch. Yeah, love the French Dispatch. I. I don't know. I thought that I wouldn't like Wes Anderson films. This is the first one I've watched. But if they're anything like The French Dispatch, which Gary rightfully said felt like a film that was written for me, <laughs> um, then I am excited to watch all his films. That was so good. Spencer? Spencer, brilliant. Um, cliched, but give... Uh, Kristen Stewart, her uh, Oscar. Clichéd? Yeah, everyone's saying it. Are they? Yeah, oh, everyone's saying so. give, give her an Oscar nom. Well, well, give her the Oscar. Oh, yeah, I'm saying give her the Oscar. I don't know about it being clichéd. 
Uh, well, everyone's saying it, so it's cliched. Okay, well, everyone's going to be right. Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, that was a good remake. Fantastic remake. We might have to do that in the future, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be very interesting. It would. Yeah. The Third Man. Yeah, Third Man. We uh, tried to do some uh, Noir Vember. (laughs) Succeeded um, to a certain extent. To a certain extent, yeah. Third Man, very, very good. Naked Lunch. Oh, brilliant. David Cronenberg. Has he, has he had a miss? Misfire? Only his short films. Only his short films. Uh, History of Violence is my first time watching. I thought that was really good. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, that was decent. Fun. Uh, I think it needed to be. Yeah. In Bruges. Yes. A little neo noir. That's the first time we watched that. Very much enjoyed it. See for me, um, a film, a home invasion film, with a blind actress doing a modern take on Wait Until Dark. A blind actress playing a blind character. Great to see. Yeah, yeah. That was actually yeah. That was really well done. That film. Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Yeah, it's it's a long one, but a really, really interesting documentary yeah. on uh, folk horror. A documentary that covers everything. I, I can't even think of anything they missed out. It really, yeah, really. And um, so many films that we now want to watch yeah. based on that, which is always great for a, a documentary like that. You don't really want to sit there and be like, oh, I've watched all of these. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard this anecdote before. I've heard this before. No, all felt so fresh and so new. Um, and we've got a new list of films to add to the watch list. Amsterdam. Amsterdam. <laughs> Way more enjoyable. Great than film, I better theme song. Be. Yeah, Lois Lane <laughs> and that theme song. Loved it. Uh, Let's to Satan Close. Yeah, we missed that last year, didn't we? Yeah, that, was, that was good. It was funny. Uh, the Medium, which was a really great mockumentary style possession film uh, from Taiwan, which is, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, it was good. Eternals. Better than everyone will have you have any, will will have you believe. Yeah. Uh, VHS ninety four. Yeah. You enjoyed VHS ninety four, didn't you? It was alright. It's good. Yeah, it was alright. The Green Knight. The best film featuring about as a cum rag. <laughs> Demons. Oh yeah, Demons from nineteen seventy one. Love that film. That was so good. And finally, the Cremator. Cremator, fantastic. Really, really loved that. So that is this month's Original Versus Remake episode. Next month, we'll be bringing you some festive spirit, partially for us too, because it's one of our favourite films that we watch together every year. Um, But then we'll have to talk about the remakes. We're talking about Black Christmas, and yes, it will be an Original Versus Remake threesome. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of interesting points to be made Yeah, about all three of those films and comparing them. Um, I think, I think it's going to be interesting that they're very much at different time periods Yeah, and different, um, periods within horror cinema. Mm-hmm. So I think we could get a really good podcast I episode so. out of it. I just really... I'm dreading watching 2019 again. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's next month. Tuesday, we are finishing Nasty November with a Boogeyman double feature. Ooh, speaking of films I'm dreading watching, 
Yes. I'm Deadlight Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if you're liking what you're hearing, like and follow on everything else. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.